So Jesus says, come, come to me, come to me and I will give you rest. And as you heard, coming to him and finding rest in him is not just something that he gives, it's something that he gives. Uh, I'm sorry, not something that he gives, it's something that he is. And if you notice, one of the translations in the Old Testament for the word rest is to be joyful uh, or to have tranquility or to delight, and it's even a celebration. It's interesting, though, that when you look at the word rest in the New Testament, you, you get an, uh, an expanded version of that definition and a more clear, in my opinion, definition of what the rest of Jesus means. The word rest in the original in the New Testament can also be translated as something that is refreshing and reviving and brings relief. So the rest of Jesus, that the rest that Jesus gives and the rest that he is, is something that is not found in anything else or anybody else in this creation. The rest that is him, that the rest that comes from him, is completely different to everything else in this world. Now, but if you notice, Jesus doesn't only say, come to me, but he calls us to take his yoke. Now, I know that the word yoke in modern terms uh, sounds something, uh, sounds or feels oppressive or restrictive or like uh, describes some sort of lack of freedom. Um, and, to, and I understand why, why would people, some people will feel like that because actually the word yoke in the Bible could also mean that we are to follow Jesus and to serve Jesus. But it has to be more than that. That even when we follow Jesus and we serve Jesus, this yoke cannot be oppressive and this yoke cannot be restrictive because he says that his yoke is easy and then what he requires of us is light. So why would Jesus use this term of yoke to describe something that is easy and light? Well, I, I think that the simple answer from the text is that when, even when we have to follow Jesus and when we have to obey what he says and do all the things that he requires of us, part of the reason why that is not oppressive and it doesn't feel uh, restrictive or like a burden, if you will, it's because the very God that is calling us to do this is a God that is humble and gentle. So how could Jesus give you something that comes out of, that is different to what he has in his heart? Everything God requires of you, is always, it always comes from a heart that is gentle and humble. So the question we have to ask then is, if that is true, and if you have already placed your faith in Jesus Christ, let's assume that we all here have placed our faith in Jesus Christ. If that is true, if Jesus is the person of peace, and if I have placed my faith in him, why is it that I still struggle with rest? Now, I just made a public confession at the beginning of the service that I do need rest more than ever, and that I'm assuming, and you guys all agree, that you all need rest more than ever. And I think that there's 20,000 reasons why that's true. But I want to make the argument today for a few seconds, maybe a few hours, because we only have one service. (laughs) Is that part of the reason why we struggle with rest is because we don't know how to take his yoke. Part of the reason why we don't find rest as often as we need it. Or put it in a different way, why is it that we don't embrace the rest that we already have in Jesus? It's because of two things, I believe. 
that come one from this text and one from another text. See, I think that the primary reason why we struggle with rest is because we are still practicing and we forget to practice what it means to believe and to repent. Now, the reason why I'm using that is because the word, oh, you're going to find this interesting. Or maybe not, but I found it super interesting. The, the word take in the original can be and is translated in two different ways. It means to take up or to embrace or to carry and at the same time, it means to take away or to remove. So part of the reason why I think the, part, the, the, the reason why we struggle with rest is because we don't know how to take in and take out. Bring in and bring out. In my words, to believe and to repent. See, I think that part of the reason why Jesus is so emphatic about this is because he knows. See, the text assumes that that does not come to us naturally. Even if you have been a believer for 50, 60, 70, 80, 100 years, the art of believing and repenting does not come natural to us. And I want to make the argument that there are some things that are easy to believe and some of the things that are not so easy to believe and that there are so, some things that are easy to repent of and other things that we really struggle with repentance there. See, I actually believe that there are doctrines in the Bible, things about God that even though we claim to believe, at times they're easy to believe, like the sovereignty of God. See, if I were to do a little survey in our church today, every single one of us would say that we agree that God is sovereign, that he is in control of everything, and that he accomplishes his purposes always. Amen? Now, if you didn't say amen, that means you don't believe it. You see, you're struggling a little bit. <laughs> so in my own personal life, I don't have any issues with that doctrine when things are going well. God is still in control. God will accomplish his purposes. But whenever something goes wrong, that theology, that doctrine, does not become functional at times. Sometimes, maybe it's just my issue and not yours, sometimes where things are complicated, I forget that all things work together for those who God loves. All things. All right, listen, this is a, a Bible lesson, uh, Greek in the original, so please pay attention here. You know what the phrase, all things mean? You, you guys already know the trick. All things. Like all things, the good things, the okay things, and the bad things, and even the bad, the evil things. That God in his sovereignty will accomplish his purposes and is always good. That's so easy for me to preach from here. So hard to believe when things are going wrong. That's why we need to believe and re-believe. And believe again, and again, and again, and again, until those truths sink into our hearts. This is what somebody, somebody, someone will call the art of preaching to yourself. You know, this is Psalm 42, for example. This guy is going through different, uh, difficult things. He says, why, my soul, are you so downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Have you noticed this guy talking to himself? Like a crazy person talking to himself that I learned that crazy people know something that we must learn. You preach to yourself. And he says to his soul, put your hope in God. 
believe. Believe, believe, believe. Preach it to yourself. Preach it to yourself. And I think that the same principle applies to repentance. I think that there are things that we are quick to repent. And there are things that we are not so quick to repent. Part of the reason is because we either don't want to repent or because we don't even know that we need to repent. Part of the reason is because we don't realize, even as Christians, how profound, how profound our sin still is. If you're doing a Bible reading with us, we just finished reading the story in which um, Jesus confronts uh, Peter after he has denied him after the resurrection. Uh, he comes to Peter and then he asks Peter three times, do you love me? You remember that story? Do you love me? And Peter says, you know, you know I love you. Second time, do you love me? And Peter said, and Jesus says, yeah, you know, I love you. And third time, do you love me? And by this time, the Bible says that he was grieved. He was hurt. Why is it that Jesus don't get it, man? I do love you. Now, any scholar would say that part of the reason why Jesus asked the, the questions three times is because he wants to remind Peter of the three times that he denied him after he had said that he would never do this. You guys remember that, 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 that incident? He's having a conversation with the disciples. He says that he's going to go to the cross and die and that many people will walk away from him. And what does Peter say? Peter says what I would say. I will never do that to you, Lord. And bam, look at what happened. See, there are things that we are quick to repent and there are things that we don't even know we have. Therefore, repentance, 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 repentance is required. You know what's crazy about Peter's story? That you would think that he learned the lesson. Like when you read the text, you say, wow, that was hard, man. He got it. And seconds later, Jesus says, you're going to live and you're going to die for me. Follow me. Which is the best, the worst way to recruit any follower. And Peter turns around and looks at John and says, what about him? Is he going to have to suffer too? And Jesus, like a good teacher, like a God Almighty says, my translation, why do you care? You follow me. See, I think that there's a reason why many of us would identify with Peter. We're still in the sanctification process growing to be like Christ, and there's no way that we could do that unless we learn to believe and to repent. Time and time again, believe and repent. Um, uh, St. Therese of Avila, she, she has, in one of her writings, she, she, she makes this crazy, super honest and vulnerable statement. She says, oh God, I don't love you. Like, if you know anything about that lady, I will question that. Oh, God, I don't love you. I don't even want to love you. But I want to want to love you. I, I feel like that sometimes. Don't you feel like that sometimes? Here. There are times in my spiritual walk, and I know that, please don't disqualify me from ministry. I'm just being honest here. There are times in which I can almost hear the Holy Spirit saying, don't say that, don't think that, don't do that. And in my heart, I feel another thing that says, do as you please. 
So what is it that I ought to do in those times? Believe and repent. Believe and repent. I wonder if this is part of the way, part of the reason why the Bible describes the spiritual, our spiritual journey as a walk. It's a two-step two process. You believe and you repent. You believe and you repent. You believe and you repent. You do it over and over and over and over again until you learn how to preach it to yourself and your heart finds rest. No believing, no repenting. Rest is simply impossible. Jesus says, take upon you the rest that you need. Believe and repent. And the second thing is something that we as, as church members, as congregants and as Christians, we, we know and yet we struggle with, which is the art of not just preaching to yourself, believing and repentance, but also practicing, being constant in practicing the art of believing and repentance. Now, this is another thing that I find super interesting. Maybe you don't find it super interesting, but I do. The word rest in the New Testament can also be translated as to abide or to remain. It's one of those words that Jesus used in the last sermon he preached in John chapter 15 through 17. And I want you to look at John 15, 14, in which Jesus says this, Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. If I were to replace the word remain for the word rest, which I could, it'll be something like rest in me. If I also remain in you, no branch can bear fruit by itself. You must rest in the vine. Jesus Christ, neither can you bear fruit unless you rest in me. And someone would say, well, that, that text is talking about being fruitful. And the text says that we ought to be, that in order for us to grow and be fruitful, we need to, be, to remain in him or find rest in him. But I want to invite you to consider that that principle is not just about fruitfulness. It's about everything in life, including rest. Why? Because John chapter 15, verse 5 says, I am the vine, you are the branches, if you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do what? No, 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 no. Apart from me, you can do? Thank you. You know what the word nothing means? Nothing. All things, nothing. Apart from him. About the constant practice of believing and repenting, upon doing the things that we have to do, you will never find rest. And I don't know how you and I can survive without it. My sin is too big, your sin is too big. The, sin is too fim uh, the world is too sinful. People are not as nice Things go wrong. How else are we going to be able to survive unless we learn to remain in him or to rest in him? Unless we do it over and over again, believe and repent, remain in him, rest in him. Listen, this is not something that I'm just bringing into the text. This is the same thing that Hebrews chapter 4, 11 says. The author of the book of Hebrews says, strive or make effort to enter into that rest. It requires the word effort there. It means practice. 
It means that we are intentional to cultivate this relationship with God in which we find the rest that we need. It tells you that this is not an organic thing. It's we put it into practice. And you will see what, what is it that we need to practice in a second. This week I was reading a book called, um, by Jen Pollock uh, Michelle. She, she wrote an amazing book on spiritual disciplines and things like that. It's called In Good Time, Time Management and all those things. But what I find interesting about her approach, though, is that she doesn't talk about any of the time management things that the business talks about. He talks about similar to the things that we're talking about here, and this is what she says. Everything that really matters in life requires regular watering, whether or not the mood suits it. Right? You water something whether you feel like it or not. Which, listen, if you are part of the modern world, you already think that the things you do are the things that you feel like doing. But that's not, that, that's not what the Bible talks about. What requires, he says, is practice. Practice is never once undone. Practice drives in circles. It recapitulates, it rehearses, it repeats. Practice is about a, a neural pathways and muscle memory. It is repetitive and often boring. How many of you guys find, every, okay, this first year. Okay, first, first of the year. How many of you guys every now and then find the word reading uh, the Bible a little bit boring? How many of you guys never find the Bible boring? Listen, don't, this is the problem. Either you're lying or you're not reading. <laughs> so, it's a, it's a double sin right there. Um, repairing and often burning and its, and, its benefits is, and its benefits are slow and hard won and sometimes are invisible to the naked eye. But eventually, we become what we practice. Eventually, we become what we practice. Do you know why it's so hard to kill sin? Because that is the thing that we have practiced the most since we were born. We become what we practice. And he writes something similar. He says, virtue, or I will call it the art of believing and repenting, is what happens when someone has made a thousand small choices requiring effort and concentration to do something which is good and right, but which doesn't come naturally. And then, on the thousand and first time, when it really matters, they find that they do what, they find that, uh, that they do what's required automatically, as we say. So this is what he means. That the more you practice, when you need it, it'll become natural to us. So in my family, in my, in my family, when we're struggling, when someone is struggling with anxiety or something like that, we learned that one of the tools for us to learn how to cope with those things is to practice the things that we need to practice before anxiety kicks in. So for example, there's breathing exercises. So here we have all four of us at home just practicing the breathing, practicing the breathing, practicing the breathing. Why? So when anxiety comes, it comes automatic to us and learning how to breathe. Do you know why we struggle with resting? Because we don't practice the things that we need to practice, church. What is it that we need to practice? And this is no new information to any of you. And yet, something tells me 
that none of us have graduated from this department just yet. Theologians will call this practicing the means of grace. And there's different opinions of what that means, right? Uh, but at least most, most theologians would say that the means of grace, the things that the Lord uses to transmit or transfer to us his grace time and time again, is word, prayer, the, uh, the ordinances, and community. What I find interesting, though, is that in John chapter 15 to 17, Jesus talks about three of those at least. He talks about word, he talks about prayer, and he talks about community. This is Jesus' last sermon, meaning that Jesus, if Jesus wanted us to remember something, that will be it. So let me walk you through that really quick, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time in that, but look at what he says. Jesus would say how bad we need community. I want to start with that one. How bad you need to be part of a small uh, circle of other believers. Now, if you are part of Witten Bible Church, you know that this church is large, it's big. You won't make it in this church unless you are surrounded by other believers. Because if there's one thing that we have in this place is that you could come and go and nobody knows anything about you. So look at what uh, Jesus says. John chapter 15, verse 17. This is my command. Love one another. Love each other. John 17, verse 21. That all of them may be one. This is his prayer. Father, just, just as you, uh, you are in me and I, I, I am in you. John chapter 17, verse 23. I in them and you in me so that they may be brought to complete unity. Now, someone may ask, well, what does that have to do with community? You cannot love anybody unless you see them. You cannot be loved by anybody unless they see you. The art of practicing unity does not happen from afar. Unity only happens when we are face to face. Even with the people that we don't think we need. If there's one thing that I've learned as, as I get older, and listen, I'm not that old just yet. Is that the, some of the people that I really need in my life, many times are the people that I don't want in my life. You won't make it without the community of faith. You need to be surrounded by people that will help you believe and help you repent. You need to be surrounded by people that will tell you, you need to believe and you need to repent. So church, please, this is not a commercial. Please join something. Be part of an adult community group. If you don't like any of the adult community groups, and listen, I get it. But if, if you don't like any of the adult community groups, start one. But just know that the ideal group and the perfect group does not exist just yet when we get to heaven. Join a life group, small group, a Bible study for men and women. Uh, join one of the support groups. Just join something for goodness sake. You won't make it without a community of faith. It'll be hard for you to believe and very hard for you to repent unless you have people that are practicing unity with you. There, if there's no community, there is no growth. And if there's no growth, 
there is no peace. It has to be a practice. It must be part of your Christianity. You know what I find interesting in this uh, postmodern individualistic society? People assume that we don't need other people, and yet everyone is craving for other people. You know, when I was a teacher, I would see students every now and then talking about, yeah, I, 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 I'm on my own. I don't need anybody. You know, I'm unique in the way I am, in the way I dress, and the things I say. But you know what the first thing they do? They will look for another kid that does exactly the same thing. Don't you find that interesting? It's because everyone is craving a community, whether we like it or not. And the Bible says that we cannot learn how to believe and repent. Believe and repent unless you are part of a community in which unity is practiced. And the next two, I think that you assume that we have to practice, which is word and prayer. Look at what uh, Jesus says about that in just one verse. John chapter 15, verse 7. If you remain in me, if you want rest in me, and my words remain in you, ask with it, uh, whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. No asking, no word, no rest. How else are you going to know what to believe? One of the things that I've been saying in the church for the last year, a little bit more than that, is that the more uh, our, our culture becomes more and more secular, the more word you're going to have to have to be able to distinguish what is truth and what is not. How else are you going to deal with your heart? Unless the word informs it. And how else are you going to learn how to rest and trust God unless you pray? This is a practice. This is what we need. No word, no prayer, no rest. So as a church then, we, we want to invite you to join some sort of reading plan. Uh, it doesn't have to be the one that we provide, but you've got to have something, something that fits your context and your time and all the stuff that, that you need. But I would like to invite you to, to consider the one we provide for you. You can find it in our website and the resources, and, and, and this is the gist of it. So this is a commercial. But I don't get money from it, so it, it doesn't matter. It's, let me explain to you what, what a reading plan is and why is it that we bring it to you. Um, I think that the tendency for many Christians is to choose parts, the parts of the Bible that they like, right? So the tendency is to maybe grab a section and then open the Bible and put your finger on it, and that's the thing that you want for the day. But how about if you do that, and then you land in the in place in which it says that Judah, Judas killed himself? How is that going to help you? But the second reason is that the whole Bible, you need the whole Bible in order for you to grow and learn how to believe and repent more and more. So our reading plan is a plan that, that has two chapters. It requires two chapters per day. One chapter from the Old Testament, one chapter from the New Testament. And if you do it that way, we read the entire uh, Old Testament in two years. The first year is the first half, second year is the second half. But you read the entire New Testament in one year and the entire book of Psalms in one year. 
And the following year, you read again the entire New Testament and the entire book of Psalms. But not only we want you to do, uh, to read, and all, all the information on how to do it is in us on our website, but also learn how to pray it. If we want to grow in our understanding of what it means to pray, one of the first things we must do is we must learn to pray the Bible. It's okay to do any other prayers, but we got to learn how to pray the Bible. So, for example, the way I do it, and I've been doing this one for years, by the way, is I read one, and I meditate in one. And by the way, that's not mine. I inherited that from other people. But the one I'm meditating on, then I grab that, and I do these four art prayers, which is the way we pray as a staff. We take the time to rejoice, repent, request, and to remember. So let me walk you through it. You read the text, you meditate on the text, you underline, you circle, you do whatever you have to do, and you see what's in the text that would lead you to rejoice, adoration and thanksgiving. What does this text tell me about God? Is there anything I should be thankful for from this text? That's rejoice. Can you say rejoice? Second one is repent. Is there anything in this text that leads me to repentance? And the third one is request. Anything in this text that is inviting me to pray for, either for me or for somebody. And then, to remember. And this is when preaching to yourself comes in. Remember who Jesus is. Remember what he did for you. And remember who you are to him. In my own spiritual journey with the Lord, that remembering thing is the hardest thing for me to do. Basically, you have to preach to yourself how much God loves you in light of Jesus Christ. See, it is only when we remember how much God loves us that we learn to believe more. It is only when we remember how much God cares for us that we remember that, that, that we learn to repent more. I'm going to give you uh, two verses that have changed my life completely. And I've used this before if you've been part of the church for a while. I want you to read it slow and let it sink in. Because this is the thing that you need, that you need to remember. John chapter 15 verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so... I have loved you. Remain in my love. Think about it for a second. All the eternal, holy, pure, everlasting, and constant love of the Father for the Son is the same way the Son loves us. Even in the midst of our sin. I need to remember that. Because if I don't remember, then I'll, be, I'll start being defined by my sins and my struggles and the things that I do wrong. I want to be, I I be defined for who Jesus is and what Jesus did for me. 
Yes, I'm a, I'm a sinner still, but I'm a saint in Jesus Christ. Yes, I'm struggling already, but I'm also being forgiven and accepted and loved and all these things. I need to remember that. Preach it to yourself. And it gets even better. Because not only Jesus loves you that way, but in John 17, verse 23, look at what it says. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them, the Father, even as you have loved me. You know what's crazy about that verse? When God the Father sees you in Jesus Christ, he loves you as much as, he's, as he loves his sin, sinless son. He doesn't love you any more and any less. He loves you as much as he loves his son. Do you know that to be true? Yesterday, um, one of my daughters were watching a movie called Beautiful Boy, which is this, this movie about basically the relationship between a father and a son that is uh, addicted to a bunch of different things. And there's a scene in which the father and the son are talking, and then the father says uh, to the son, you, you know how I feel about you. And then the kid says, what do you feel about me? And the father says, everything. So every time they say bye to one another, instead of saying I love you, they say everything. And I'm going to start using that with my family because I loved it. I think that God would say exactly the same thing to you. You know how he feels about you? The same way he feels about his son. Everything. And you know how Jesus feels about you? The same way he feels about his father. Everything. You need to remember that. You need to remember that because we are quick to forget. You need to learn how to believe and repent. You need to make it a practice. And the only way you make it a practice is when you live in community, when you continue to expose yourself to the word of God, and you learn how to pray. When you rejoice and when you repent and you request, and yes, when you remember. You remember who Jesus is. And you remember what he did for you. And you remember who you are to him. That's how we change. And that's how we find rest. Let me read this for you. And then I'm going to show you something else. Even the best and the most intimate human relationship has its limits. No relationship can cure our loneliness, but the one we were made for, the one that is more central, more defining, and closer to you than any other relationship you could ever have, your relationship with Christ. Jesus offers you what no other partner could, eternal fidelity, no sickness, not even death will part you. Your spouse might be willing to die for you, but Jesus already did. Your spouse might want to understand you more deeply, but only the one who knows you better than you know yourself can 
Deliver you from the tyranny of feeling you are not understood. Jesus is better than any earthly friend. He is a friend you have always wanted. As your enthroned king, he gives you peace, knowing that he is in full control. As your high priest, he gives you the security that you always stand safe. As your sympathetic high priest, he gives you comfort that somebody understands. As your willing advocate, he gives you confidence, even boldness before God. As your trailblazers, he gives you assurance that you will make it. And along the way, he gives you hope that behind every sickness, there will be healing and that every longing um, and that every longing for a better world will be repaid. All this because Jesus is in heaven and he loves you as the Father loves you and the Father loves you as he loved his son. Do you have that? Can you see why the love of God is better than life. May the Lord grant us to love him more. So Jesus says, come to me. Take my yoke. And then he says, learn from me. Take a look at this. To find rest, we come, we take. And lastly, Jesus says, we learn. When we come and take, we move from crisis to peaceful relationship with Jesus. Jesus shows us that this peace will be a process. As we learn more about him, we will find peace. As we experience him in new circumstances, we will find peace. The more we trust him, the more we will find peace. What is interfering with you finding peace? What shame, jealousy, pride, or fear is keeping you from the peace found in Jesus? The peace you seek will be found through the work of Jesus, the surrender of your life, and the learning to live the way Jesus did.